Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and each week on this podcast, I share the knowledge, tips, and strategies you need to get healthy, lose weight, and prevent disease. Today is going to be a great episode where I interview Cynthia Thurlow. She's a nurse practitioner and functional nutritionist who has such an awesome story to share, both about her own health journey and how she started her own business to help other women learn how to lose weight and prevent disease. She has a TEDx talk that has over 5 million views on YouTube about the benefits of intermittent fasting. And she focuses a lot on this approach with her clients. So we talk a ton about fasting and how to incorporate it into your lifestyle. And aside from being a two-time TEDx speaker, she has been published in multiple online blogs and has a podcast of her own called Everyday Wellness. It's really great and you should check it out. It was named as a top 20 podcast that will help you grow in 2020. This episode is for you if you're looking to lose weight and reduce your risk for chronic disease. There are so many benefits to intermittent fasting besides weight loss that we get into during this episode. And if you're scared by the word fasting, please don't be. No matter where you're at in your own health journey, you can start you can start right where you are by making small changes for the better. Cynthia and I talk about how to ease into intermittent fasting and find a schedule that works best with your lifestyle. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I know all of our lives are a bit crazy right now with COVID-19, so I just really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and insight and expertise with my audience. I know they are going to get a ton of value from this episode. Before we dive into the topic of intermittent fasting, can you just share a little bit more about your personal and professional background and talk about what inspired you to start your own wellness business? That's great questions. And thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, So I am trained as a Western medicine nurse practitioner. And prior to becoming a nurse practitioner, I was an ER nurse in inner city, Baltimore, loved my time in Baltimore, and then evolved into a nurse practitioner and worked in cardiology for 16 years. And you can imagine after 20 years of working in healthcare, I had kind of seen it all, largely, you know, the best and the worst, you know, what happens when we take care of our bodies, what happens when we don't take care of our bodies. I think when I became a parent uh, almost 15 years ago, I really started to look a little bit more closely at our food and our nutrition. I'd always been a healthy eater. I was blessed that I had parents that were really interested in nutrition. But I think I started to look a little bit more deeply at habits that my patients were doing and and how it impacted positively or negatively, how it impacted their health. And, you know, initially I I thought maybe I wanted to get a doctoral degree. Maybe that would, you know, kind of set me on this path. I was definitely intellectually curious, took one class, decided that wasn't for me, actually went on and did a wellness coaching certification, which I enjoyed. Uh, But really lit me up was when I did a functional nutrition program. And then that completely spun my world around. Right before then, I'd actually read a book by Robin O'Brien called The Unhealthy Truth. I'm not sure if you've read it, but for me, it was was absolutely a life-changing book. I was so angry when I read it, when you started to understand the um, focus on the processed food industry and how it has impacted our health. So that's where I started from, nurse, nurse practitioner, wife and mom. I live in Washington, D.C. with my family. I am super passionate about 
um, real whole food nutrition and really educating people about that. And I, when I left clinical medicine four years ago to start my business, I think it was out of partly frustration. I, I was, I was really very good at what I did. I, I, I love the heart. I love everything about cardiology, but I got very tired of writing prescriptions. I got very tired of feeling that I was constrained in a system that didn't permit me the opportunity to talk to people about real life strategies that would have been equally impactful, meaning how we eat, how we sleep, how we choose to move our bodies, hydrating our bodies, et cetera. So I took a leap of faith and I left clinical medicine and started my own business. And as we were discussing before we jumped online, I did a true leap. I had set some things in place to be able to do that, but I wasn't sure what being an entrepreneur was. And the first six months, I kind of stumbled around and taught some group classes and started taking on some one-on-one clients. And then I fell into some business coaching, and that was really pivotal for me. And at the time that I had this business coach, she really encouraged me to um, focus on creating a program. And so I created my own program, and the rest is really history. Yeah, I love your story just because I can relate so much to it as a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the end result of a lifetime of unhealthy choices. And I kind of wanted to be um, a little bit more proactive and help people not need a geriatric physical therapist and not need all those medications. Um, And I think once you really start to dig into the science behind it, intermittent fasting is so obvious Mm -hmm. and it's such an obvious tool to a healthy lifestyle and I know you're a huge advocate of it, and I, and I, you have a great TEDx talk on intermittent fasting that I am going to bring up again later in this podcast and definitely link to in the show notes for all of the listeners. But just to get on the same page, because it is kind of a, a newer topic, I guess, a newer word. It's not, a, it's not a new thing, but can you explain to everybody just what is intermittent fasting? Yeah, so it's a great strategy, and that's really what it is. And as you mentioned, it's not new or novel. It is truly something that has been around for thousands of years, dates back to biblical times. But what it really is, is it's giving your body an opportunity to spend more time digesting and less time uh, trying to process all this food that you're consuming on a daily basis. So let me give you an example. Here in the United States, we've been conditioned to believe that we need to eat many meals, we need to snack, Uh, We need to not go more than two or three hours to quote unquote, stoke our metabolism. And this is so far off from the way that our bodies are designed to be. We're really designed to feast and then fast. So intermittent fasting is simply eating within a prescribed time period, meaning instead of eating for 12 or 14 hours a day, you're eating a six or an eight hour window and the rest of the time you're not eating. And I know for many people that is scary to consider because again, this dogma that we've been raised and constrained and embedded in our minds that we need to be snacking and eating all the time is really what is creating this situation where we have metabolic disease in this country, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, vascular disease, et cetera. So it could be as easy as skipping breakfast. It could be as easy as eating your breakfast later or thinking of your breakfast. Your breakfast has now become lunch. Maybe you're eating at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. in the morning instead of 6, 7, or 8 o'clock. And what I come to find is most people, if they're really intrinsically attuned to their bodies, they aren't hungry when they first get up anyway. We're just conditioned to believe that we need to eat food when we first wake up. And again, this is completely contradictory to the way our bodies are designed to work. With very few exceptions, 
we don't need to be eating that frequently. Really, it should be, you know, four hours or five hours in between meals with no snacks. And I find that for most people, when they start integrating this strategy into their daily lives, they're oftentimes very surprised at how easy it ultimately becomes for them. It's one less thing to worry about. They only have to worry about two meals a day and not three. They don't have to worry about carrying snacks with them everywhere. Um, I know that you've got a two-year-old at home and, and it's very different when you have children and they're growing, but for adults, we don't need to be doing that. We don't have to ascribe that to that philosophy that uh, we need to eat frequently. That's really a misnomer. Absolutely. I always kind of say that snack foods are a category of food created by food companies to sell more food. And if you really need a snack, you probably shouldn't be having quote unquote snack food anyways. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some better options out there, but um, for those people who listened to your TEDx talk already, um, I really wanted to point out that you said in a different interview in a different podcast interview, I heard you say that there were about three minutes of information related to the science behind fasting Mm -hmm. that you had to skip over to end your talk on time. Yes. Which was really (laughs) impressive because you would have never, ever known that something was off in that talk. And it was so good. And I really wanted you to share with the listeners that scientific information that you didn't have time to share during your talk. So can you share some of the biggest benefits that intermittent intermittent fasting has not only for weight loss, but our overall health? Thank you. And I I appreciate that you did your your research on that. Yes, I was completely panic stricken when I looked at the clock and realized I had to cut out a portion of my talk and do it in a way that I didn't look like a deer caught in a headlight. But I think a a great majority of what I wanted to talk about was really expand on autophagy, which is one of the benefits of not eating. Uh, And I'm not talking about starvation, we're talking about fasting was really that your body does this incredibly intuitive um, intuitive process that is only evoked when you're not eating. So it's really important for people to understand you can't eat a small meal and think that your autophagy is ongoing. Autophagy is really just going in and getting rid of d- diseased and, di- and, and disordered cells. And so there's even some evidence to suggest that autophagy is really critical for cancer prevention But in regards to my talk, I wanted to, for people to understand how very, very important it is that we are all having more autophagy so that we can get rid of these disease disordered cells so that we improve our health. And I I think in light of, and this is very timely, you know, given what's going on with our country right now in COVID-19, but there's, there are so many health benefits from allowing our body to spend a little bit more time digesting food a little bit more time with you know, lowered insulin levels. And insulin is a key hormone that is really important, but we don't want insulin levels to be high throughout the day. We want insulin levels to spike when we eat and go back down. You know, it, you know, We look at peaks and then comes back down. But what happens is that if we're eating and snacking all day long, we're just spiking insulin all day long. And insulin, although very critical and important, insulin is, is primarily a fat storage hormone. So If we're thinking about ways and strategies to keep ourselves healthy throughout our lifetime, and a lot of times I speak to those in middle age and beyond, when things get a little more more challenging, it's really critical that we're keeping those those fasting insulin levels down. Uh, And we also know how beneficial it can be for brain health. We know that when our our fasting insulin is low, that we have improved cognition, we're able to think very clearly 
the one thing that I hear more often than not from patients and clients is, oh my gosh, I can get so much done in the morning because not only do I not have to stop to eat, but because my insulin levels are low, I have so much mental clarity. I get so much accomplished. I feel like a rock star. And so those are the things that I probably would have spent a little bit more time alluding on, discussing um, the digestion piece, the lowered insulin, the autophagy, and really, you know, kind of detailing for people that these things are so profoundly beneficial, but we don't allow our bodies to tap into these benefits because we are stuffing food down our throats all day long. And, you know, unfortunately with COVID-19, I think a lot of people are also stress eating. So it's okay. I'm encouraging, I'm encouraging people at this time to, if you normally do a 14 hour fast, do a 15 hour fast. If you normally do a 16 hour fast, do a 17 hour fast, you know, and you know, not that I'm necessarily advocating that everyone do prolonged fasting because that's somewhat controversial right now with COVID-19. But, you know, anything under 24 hours is completely reasonable right now. It's going to give your immunity and your body's ability to fight infection. It's going to bolster it in a very positive way. So that's probably a very relevant benefit that would also be important to kind of interject into our conversation that a little bit more fasting is going to ultimately improve immune function in a very positive way. And uh, as well as the autophagy, the lowered insulin levels, improve mental clarity, and I don't know about you, but I'm at a point in my life where uh, improved mental clarity is something I'm really aiming for. I want to be able to think on my feet, to be able to speak conversationally and be able to convey information in a very valuable way. Absolutely. And I think anymore, all of our work-life balance is off. And so we have to make what time we do have to work as productive as possible and mm-hmm. efficient as possible. So being able to switch at least in my, in my life from mom brain to, you know, science brain is really helpful. And I know I've found so much benefit in fasting. And I think that when you, when you talk about eating between six and eight hours a day for a lot of my listeners, that might be a little bit intimidating to them, Mm -hmm. but I know that you don't necessarily recommend starting there. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about your recommendations for people who might just be thinking about starting to Mm -hmm. incorporate more intermittent fasting into their lifestyle? Sure. Absolutely. And what I find for most people, if they're really there, there's any anxiety about doing intermittent fasting, I would say you're probably already fasting 12 to 13 hours a day. They just don't realize it. So if you eat dinner at six o'clock at night and you don't have breakfast till eight, that's already 14 hours. So you're already 14 hours in. Sorry, this is what happens. The doodles are home. Um, They're going to try to keep them quiet. Um, So I, I generally recommend that people start with a 12 or 13 hour fasting window and slowly increase it. So you could even do, you know, 13 hour fast for a week. And then if you're feeling great, move to 14 And then if that feels great, move to 15. But I think it's really critical. Everyone's an individual and there's no medals for being perfect. There is no Mm -hmm. perfection in intermittent fasting. One of the keys is that the flexibility allows you to decide, you know, maybe one day I do a 16 hour fast, the next day I do a 14 hour fast and the following day I do an 18 hour fast. It really is that flexible. You will still get the benefits. I know everyone likes to focus on weight loss, but there's so much more to it. Now, I would say that's typically how I work through it. And I remind people that, uh, you know, when you're fasting, you should have more mental clarity. You should have more energy. If you don't, you need to kind of re-engineer things. Are you getting enough of your macros in during your feeding window? Are you getting enough sleep? I mean, those kinds of things so that you can kind of fine tune what schedule works best for you. Absolutely. And, and I love the flexibility of it too, because 
like you said, you can do it. A, I think you can do it a couple days a week mm-hmm. and you still get those benefits or you can do a schedule every single day. But one of my, my one of my clients and course members had a question because I put, mm-hmm. it, put it out to them that I was interviewing you. And she said, ask her if she recommends working out in a fasted state. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> why or why not? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, once you, so one of the, the benefits when you go from being, to, when you go from not being fat adapted to being fat adapted and using ketones as a source of energy, you become very efficient at being able to exercise while fasting. And so I generally recommend when you've mastered doing intermittent fasting for a couple of weeks that you can start working out fasted. I just feel like you, you have the opportunity to burn up some fat stores. Now, some of us may have more than others. It really depends on the individual, but you should, by the time you are fat adapted, and for some people, it may take a couple of weeks. You know, it may not be you go from, you know, day one, you start fasting on day four, you're fat adapted. That's generally not the case. But I usually say within that first month, you should be at a point where you can do an you can do some exercise and do it in a fasted state. For many people, they get up in the morning, they go to the gym. Right now, we're not going to the gym, but they get up and they exercise and then they fast for a couple hours afterwards. And, you know, I actually recently spoke on a panel out in Portland, when I say recently, earlier this year. Uh, with a protein synthesis expert who's a physician. And we talked a lot about, you know, people get very fixated. Oh my gosh, I was told by my trainer, I have to consume X, Y, and Z right after I exercise. And her feeling, which I agree with, is it's not so important immediately after exercise, but within that 24-hour period of time. Meaning I feel completely comfortable lifting heavy weights, going to the gym, being fasted, and then not eating for four hours afterwards. But again, it goes back to bio-individuality. I would recommend if you're interested in trying intermittent fasting and you want to eventually work out fasted, that you give yourself a couple weeks of intermittent fasting in terms of your daily schedule. And then, you know, do a day where you go to the gym in the morning and you're fasted and you just monitor how you feel. Stay hydrated, make sure you've had good sleep, make sure the day before you've had your macros on point, meaning you've got enough protein, fat, and carbohydrates into your diet and you should do fine. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know what you notice, but when I lift weights in a fasted state, I actually notice about a 30% increased um, weight that I can Mm -hmm. lift, you know, so whatever I'm bench pressing in a non-fasted state, I can usually do about 30% more Mm -hmm. um, depending on the lift. But I'm shocked by that because when I first started doing that, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be tired and hungry and distracted. And I wasn't that, that mental clarity, I think, can kind of be extrapolated to mm-hmm. your physical abilities too, yeah, more mental and physical abilities. Yeah. Um, so the next question that I had was, you know, how long should somebody try fasting before they say it's not for them? You kind of mentioned becoming fat adapted. Mm-hmm. And I thought that might be a good point to dig into more because people might not know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long does it take to become fat adapted? And, and what does that mean? I think it really depends on the individual in terms of how long. For some people, it may take three or four weeks. For some people, it may be faster. I think a lot of it depends on your physical condition to start with. And when we talk about fat adaption, it means that your body is primarily using ketones, uh, which is a breakdown of fatty acids as the primary fuel source, which is very efficient. And this is how you know if you are fat adapted. You can go many hours between a meal and not feel hangry. So let's talk about the difference between a sugar burner and a fat burner. So a sugar burner is frequently tired. They struggle to lose weight. 
they get hangry, meaning when they get hungry, they get grumpy and, and difficult and challenging. Um, they generally use carbs as their primary fuel source. And I'm not, I, I want to be very clear, I'm not someone that's carb phobic, uh, but I do find that most people are in the wrong carbohydrates to fuel their body. Whereas when you're fat adapted, your energy levels are clear, your cognition is clear, uh, you can go many hours without eating, you don't have an energy slump. And those are generally the people that you lose weight more easily. So, okay. you know, most Americans are, are carboholics. Most Americans are sugar burners and it shows. And so our bodies are not designed to be sugar burners. They are designed to be very efficient. And if you look at, you know, I, I'm a, a huge advocate of the ancestral health perspective. If you look at the way our bodies were designed to thrive before refrigeration, before processed foods became an option, we oftentimes, you know, you might eat and you might not get food for a day or two. So our bodies are really designed to tap into those ketones to use uh, for energy. So that's kind of a basic oversight is an over, uh, oversimplification, quite honestly, differentiating. But for most people, when they start doing intermittent fasting, it probably will take two or three weeks at a minimum, sometimes a little bit longer. And is that just even a 12 to 13 hour fast? Are you talking a longer fast for two to three weeks? I think a longer fast because to me, I think most people are probably doing a 12 hour fast already. Uh, You know, I I just think that intermittent fasting is a strategy that most, if not all, and obviously I'll I'll touch on people who shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Most, if not all people should attempt even a few times a week. Like you had mentioned, there are different there are different ways to do intermittent fasting. I like consistency. That works for me. I'm very detail oriented. I like consistency in my life, but I have people in my world that do a five, two, five days a week. They ate their normal meals two days a week. They ate less calories. And I'm not someone who is a calorie counter proponent, but less than 500 calories a day. If it's a woman, less than 600, if it's a man, and just doing that two days a week, they still get benefits. So there's a lot of different ways to do intermittent fasting without creating anxiety about consistency. Sometimes people need to do it a little bit differently to start until they're ready to do it daily. Yeah. And I, I kind of tell people just because it worked for your friend or your coworker mm-hmm. might not mean it, it might not work for you. And I think a lot of, I'm thinking a lot right now of nurses, mm-hmm. a lot of shift workers kind of are wondering how can I maybe work this into my life? And once they do, they find that it's not a big deal and it mm-hmm. makes their work a lot, a lot easier. And they have yeah. that mental clarity and focus, but yeah. you touched on people that shouldn't intermittently mm-hmm. fast or, and I wanted to ask you, what are some precautions that you, you know, people should keep in mind mm-hmm. when they're starting intermittent, intermittent fasting and who are some people that maybe should not intermittently fast? Well, I, I'm going to talk about this first group primarily because I've gotten so many messages recently Um, If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, I just think it's a time when women should focus on what's best for the baby. And interestingly enough, when I spoke on the same panel, when I was out in Portland, uh, there was a ketogenic doctor who was there and and her feeling was, especially for pregnant women, it can impact some of the epigenetics um, of the fetus. So I thought that was really interesting from that perspective. I've never been a proponent with breastfeeding because we just, we, I mean, really it is a time where our bodies are producing a lot of milk or our basal metabolic rate is very high. And I always say, do it after you're done. Like do, do that for the baby and then give it, give it an opportunity to, um, to move on. So pregnant and breastfeeding women, I'm not a fan. Um, brittle diabetics, people that can't recognize that their blood sugar is low. So I use the term hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. 
those people would not be a great idea because you know your, your blood sugar could potentially, if you've got an endocrine, a metabolic problem, you may not sense that your blood sugar is low and that would be an issue. I get a lot of heat for saying anyone under the age of 18, but children should not be intermittent fasting. They're still growing. Um, individuals over 70. When I made this recommendation, it was really because we have a chronically, a large chronically ill population over the age of 65. And so if someone has chronic health issues and they're over the age of 70, that is different from a healthy seven-year-old that is still very active, is not taking medications every day or takes only one or two and has the support of their healthcare provider. So that would be the distinction about the age. When someone has chronic health disorders, so when I'm talking about vascular disease, heart disease, kidney disease, liver disease, you need to be having a conversation with your healthcare provider. I always say we're all team members. Uh, we always play what we want to play well with others, but I think it's important to have that discussion because it really is very critical. Um, one other group that's really important, and I do occasionally get emails about this as well, uh, people that have a disordered relationship with food, so the anorexics, bulimics, um, binge eaters, it can sometimes evoke those tendencies, and so I don't feel that it's a healthy relationship. Uh, the other piece is if someone is has very low body weight, you know, someone that's already you know, whether they've gone through an illness, they've been hospitalized, if they're low, if they have a low body mass index, you know, less than 20, you know, some people are thin, they're 19 or 18, but really always in the context of the individual. And I'll give you an example. When I was in the hospital last year for 13 days, I lost 15 pounds and I'm already a tiny person. When I got out, when I did that second TED talk, I was not intermittent fasting. In fact, I couldn't for probably two months. Uh, because I just, my blood sugar was so dysregulated. I couldn't, I, I was really having to eat very frequently to keep my weight on. Um, and, and anyone who's been recently hospitalized, like I use myself as an example, but if you've been in the hospitalized for, you know, more than a few days, you've lost weight, you're still very tired and frail, you're not sleeping. It's not a great strategy. It doesn't mean forever. It just means right then. But those are the, the, the groups that I generally say, it's not a great idea. And you really need to have a conversation with your healthcare provider. And I'm, I'm so glad that you elaborated in such detail because I don't like when people put blanket statements, mm -hmm. like don't do it if you're over 70. Cause my, a lot of my clients and course members are over 70 and, but they're also relatively healthy. Right. You know, they just want to lose some weight. And right. so I'm so glad that you elaborated there. Um, You've worked with so many people to improve their <laughs> fasting and get over some of the roadblocks. And so I know you have a lot of experience coaching people through common roadblocks. Mm -hmm. So can you talk through some of the more common barriers that people have when they're trying to grow into those longer fasts? Yeah. Well, one of the common ones is hunger. I mean, I think a lot of people don't experience true intrinsic hunger or they've gotten so disconnected from their bodies, they've forgotten what it's like to have because a lot of us just eat like, okay, today's breakfast, I ate this. I'm not really hungry at lunch, but it's lunchtime. So I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have that snack in the afternoon and then dinner. So they, they get uncomfortable when they feel true intrinsic hunger. And one of the ways that I encourage people to, to think about this is first, give yourself some grace. You're going to have days where you're going to be more hungry than the others. And that's okay. Two, I find that electrolytes, especially when people are getting into this ketosis state, they're losing, they may be urinating more. And so electrolytes are really helpful. Electrolytes in their water, things that are not going to break their fast. And I'm not talking about Gatorade. I'm talking about, you know, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and chloride. And there are clean options that are out there. Jigsaw makes a nice brand. I have no affiliation with them. 
Um, there are some uh, trace minerals um, is another brand that you just put a couple drops in your water or a packet in your water. And I find that that's really helpful. Uh, so hunger is the first one. Um, unfortunately, people sometimes will get a slowing down of their digestion. And for some people, maybe they don't care, but most of my patients and clients really want to have a daily bowel movement. So if constipation is an issue, I always go back to the basics. Are you having enough um, hydration? You know, making sure you're getting half your body weight in ounces of water a day, less than 100, 100 ounces a day if you tend to be a, a bigger person. Um, two, making sure that you are, um, you are consuming foods that are very bile supportive. So bile is the substance secreted by the gallbladder that is designed to emulsify or break down fat. So if you're struggling with constipation, I almost always thinking I would almost always think about gallbladder support. So foods that are helpful with that are things like beets. You know, even shaved beets, carrots, artichokes can all be very beneficial. You can throw them on a salad. Um, it's really critical that people are are consuming some fiber, fibrous, you know, vegetables. Uh, again, this goes back to bioindividuality. Some people tolerate things like this; others do not but fiber is helpful. And I'm not talking about necessarily fiber capsules. I'm talking about actual fruits and vegetables that um, brightly pigmented fruits and vegetables that are going to give your body. I always say it's, it's almost like giving your body a little bit of a push to get things moving through the digestive system. Those are the, the areas that I really start thinking about. I mean, there are obviously things that you can do if you're stuck, literally. There's a product on the market called Smooth Move Tea. I do not recommend consuming this more than once or twice a week. But for people that are feeling like maybe every third or fourth day, they need a little bit more support, um, that is a natural product. You can usually find it in the grocery store or online. You just brew a tea bag. Um, I, I generally recommend that you brew the tea and then you, you consume half of it because sometimes it can really move things forward. Uh, but that has some herbs and things that will move things forward. And, and I think it's also important to think about things like aloe vera juice can be very beneficial, chlorophyll. Um, they don't taste great, but if you're really feeling like you're stuck, um, they can be helpful. And I want to mention just one more product. MCT oil for many people um, will get things moving along, just even a teaspoon to start. Good to know. And for people that don't know, MCT is medium chain triglycerides. triglycerides. Yes. Yep. yep. That's cool. So there's a lot of different philosophies here too on fat fasting. There's mm -hmm. a lot of bulletproof coffee or fat coffee. And I know that you don't necessarily recommend that. You say, if you mm -hmm. have anything, you're breaking your fast. Mm -hmm. So can you help help people understand why fat coffee technically isn't really fasting? Well, I, I think it's, it's a type of fasting. So let's be clear. There's water fasting, which is what I recommend, water, plain coffee or tea, there's fat fasting, which is bulletproof coffee or putting fats or creamer into your coffee. And you know, it, it's interesting because if you really look at the research, we can elicit an insulin response by looking or smelling food. So do we really want to be adding something that we know for sure is going to evoke an insulin response? It was interesting. I was on a podcast with another intermittent fasting expert, and uh, she and I were delighted to know that we were both in agreement about this. You just have to understand that if you, if you do bulletproof coffee, put butter in your coffee, MCT oil, et cetera, uh, it is still going to, with very few exceptions, it is still going to evoke an insulin response. But many people will say, you know, when I first started intermittent fasting, I can't get through my morning fasted unless I do this. And I always say, if it's something that you're using as a means to an end, meaning the first couple of weeks I'm doing intermittent fasting, the only way I'm going to be able to get through is if I put a little creamer in my coffee, then I say, that's fine. But recognizing it for what it is, that it's, it's fat fasting. It's not the same as a true water fast. 
Um, I find for some people it helps bridge the, the expectations. It helps bridge some of the anxiety that they're experiencing with regard to fasting in general. So that's, that's really where I come from. And, and what's interesting to me is much like anything in life, uh, much like, you know, there's no single way to treat high blood pressure. You ask 15 clinicians, they might have 15 different answers. I think for most of the intermittent fasting experts, everyone, this is a gray area. Um, it's for me, however, it's something that I always say, you just have to recognize it for what it is. It's fat fasting and not a true water fast. So it, it is what it is. Yeah. And I like how you broke that down. And for people that might not know the, of the three major macronutrients, you know, carbs, proteins, fats, fats, is, fats have the lowest insulin response. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're okay. According to some people for fasting. Yeah. And, um, it's, and that's the one thing that you'll, you'll find is that, um, you know, I asked Simlad, I had him on uh, the podcast last year. And if you're familiar with him, he is a big intermittent fasting expert has written a great book called metabolic autophagy and we talked about it and, you know, he and I are in alignment, but I recognize that differing experts may feel differently and, and that's okay. And like you said, like, we don't have to be perfect here. Correct. If, we're, if you're fat fasting, that's probably better than perhaps the breakfast that you would have otherwise had and mm-hmm. using it as a means to an end to get you through that first phase that can work great for people. And maybe some days you have it, maybe some days you mm-hmm. don't, we don't ever have to be perfect. Um, so I want to admit something that my biggest holdup with fasting is especially if it's a regular fast, Mm -hmm. say um, like the Mm 16-8 schedule, I really advocate that people try to eat enough in their eating window so that they're not just doing like a modified caloric restriction diet Mm -hmm. that's been shown to slow the metabolism. Mm -hmm. So can you walk me through a little bit more about that? You know, how, how, how are we reconciling fasting as you know, aside from like the modified caloric restriction diet, that's my biggest holdup here. Yeah. And I think it it goes back to the science that, you know, fasting is very intermittent fasting or time restricted eating is very different than just cutting out calories because of what's being evoked in the body, you know, the autophagy, um, the lowered insulin levels, but the, the strategy that I use, and I, I do think every person has to tweak for themselves. You can't necessarily do what your sister does or your husband or your kid or, you know, your adult children or family members. Um, it's very, very important that you're getting a sufficient amount of protein, fat, and carbs into your two meals that you're having every day. Now, for me, if I'm not hungry for my second meal, that tells me that I probably had too many calories in my first meal. And, and generally for me, for me personally, I do a high protein um, lower fat, when I say lower fat, I do smaller portions of healthy fats. Um, and then I cycle my carbohydrates. So for anyone that's listening, what I generally recommend that the, the philosophy is when you're thinking about putting your meals together in your feeding window, you want to ensure that you're hungry four hours after your first meal. That's what you want to aim for. That allows you to set as a barometer. And it could be as simple as you know, maybe one day you have a piece of steak and you have some avocado and maybe you have some broccoli and maybe it's a day where you had the whole avocado or half an avocado and then you're not hungry for that next meal. The next time I would say is have your protein, have your carbs, do half of the amount of healthy fats. And sometimes that's where I see most people getting into trouble. It isn't so much with avocado, but cheese and nuts are two areas, uh, two macronutrients that are very nutrient dense are obviously delicious. But that's where I see, especially women getting stuck, is that they consume too much of those, which is very easy to do, and then they're not, ha- they're not hungry for that next meal. So sometimes it can take a week or two to figure out 
what works best. I know for me personally, if I eat a large portion of healthy fats, uh, I won't be hungry for that second meal. And I endeavor all the time to not miss that second meal. And I think it's really critical. I think sometimes people get, you know, they have a good first meal and then they're busy with their kids or they're running around and they grab a protein bar and a shake. And I'm like, okay, that's, if you, that happens to you once in a while, that's, I understand, I get it. I'm a busy, normally a busy mom on the go. Mm-hmm. Now a busy mom in the house. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't want people to be doing that all the time. And I'm, I'm not a fan of people relying on, you know, uh, processed foods as like that second meal. It really should be something that is, is a real whole nutrient dense meal because our bodies know what to do with it. And they're able to break down and assimilate it a little more easily. So that's, that's typically, there, there's not a rhyme or reason. I just find for a lot of people, it runs the gamuts of, you know, really what works best for them and, uh, you know, tweaking as they go and giving yourself some grace because, you know, let's be honest, around the holidays, here's a great tip. Around the holidays, I had lots of one meal a day. I don't, I don't necessarily, we usually call it OMAD. I don't normally do that very often, but sometimes you just overeat on at a holiday meal and the next day I'm like, I don't need two big meals. I would just do one. Yep. There's those meals again. <laughs> um, so I think you've already hit on this a little bit, but I say to people, you know, fasting is a tool. It is not the tool. And what you eat when you're not fasting is still very important. So you kind of hit on those whole unprocessed foods, focusing on healthy fats, adequate protein. You say carbs. I like to break that down into starch, sugar, fiber, mm-hmm. and really educate people. There's a difference. There's a mm-hmm. difference between how your body processes starch mm-hmm. and sugar and fiber. And we really want to be sure we're getting adequate amounts of fiber. You touched on that for constipation. Now the timing of meals, I know you're, you like that 16, eight schedule. Mm-hmm. So you say you, you usually do them about four hours apart. Four, four and a half hours. Okay. I mean, right now it's, it's unique because I'm sleeping in, in the morning. Uh, normally I'm up at five or four 30. Now I'm, I'm sleeping until seven or eight because my, my day is structured differently. So now right. it might be 12 to eight is the window. But that's the beauty of it is that you can adjust it based on, you know, your own needs, which is okay. really critical. That's awesome. And then I, I think that we both described the more holistic, you know, it's not just about diet. Diet's probably the most important piece, what we eat when we eat, how we're hydrating our bodies. What other lifestyle habits do you find are really beneficial for helping people lose weight and just age well in general? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes, sleep is critical. Um, You know, they talk about the biohacking benefits of sleep. You got to sleep in a cold, dark room, seven, eight hours a night of sleep. Um, Blue blockers, you know, when it starts getting dark outside, blue blockers help blunt the impact of blue light that we get from our electronics and our, you know, fluorescent lighting. And we know that they can, can, you know, positively impact secretion of melatonin. Uh, I think it's really important for people to get outside first thing in the morning not only do you get some vitamin D, but you know, our retinas will recognize the exposure to light and it helps you know, set the circadian rhythm, which is secretion of cortisol uh, throughout the day. So really important. I, I think movement, I, I know that looks different for everyone. Movement is absolutely critical. We are designed to move our bodies. We are not designed to be sedentary. We are designed to you know, get out and walk and move. And uh, all of us are kind of captive audience in our homes right now, but movement is really key. Uh, hydration. Uh, a lot of the health issues I used to see, I suspect were largely exacerbated by dehydration. We're chronically dehydrated because we're consuming lots of caffeine, lots of energy drinks instead of really consuming water. And for those that are fasting, um, I know sometimes it can get boring. 
uh, while you're fasted to just drink water. But after a while, your, your palate will truly, you know, kind of acclimate to not consuming food uh, during your fasted state. It won't be such an onerous uh, topic. I think practicing gratitude, you know, mindset work is really critical. So whether it's practicing gratitude, writing three things down, meditating, even if it's for five minutes uh, is really helpful. And I think, you know, connecting with our loved ones, uh, you know, whether it be by FaceTime, you know, obviously now we're not able to be around our friends and families the way that we, we desire to, but, you know, hugging people that you care about, having a pet, uh, connecting with your loved one, even if it's through FaceTime, you know, a long ways away. Those are things that I find can be hugely beneficial. The topic of weight loss, however, can go on and on and on. And things that I see that can be sticking points, again, are the sleep, um, poor food choices, so underlying food sensitivity, stress can all exacerbate uh, weight gain. And you know, the other piece is you have to do a little bit of digging. So the endocrine system is finicky. And as women you know, get closer to perimenopause, you know, the five to seven years preceding menopause, um, that can be a time that people start to, you know, kind of do that slippery slope. So a little bit of detective work, doing some lab work when appropriate, really looking at gut health can all impact our ability to lose weight. That's awesome. And can you tell the listeners, I know we both have another meeting here in a couple minutes. Can you tell mm-hmm. the listeners where they can learn more about you? Absolutely. So my website's a great first place to go, www.cynthiatherlow.com. I'm also active on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and just kind of slowly rolling out YouTube. That has been a labor of love. And I keep saying, if I get enough time, I'm going to start working on that. But I would say those are the, the primary areas. And the other thing is I just created a foundation. It's called the Everyday Wellness Project. Um, there'll be more news on my website soon. So lots awesome. of great ways to connect with me. Yeah. And do you still have your freebie for intermittent fasting? I do. Like it's the, still the on my website. Yep. Okay. So if you guys want to learn more from her about fasting, she does have a free download with all of the most popular questions that she gets. But Cynthia, I just wanted to thank you again for sharing your time and your expertise um, amidst this crazy, busy, working from home lifestyle that we've yeah. all been thrown into. Um, and I hope to talk to you again, either on the podcast or maybe we'll connect on YouTube if we, <laughs> if we can both figure that platform out someday. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Cynthia. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I really hope that you enjoyed this interview with Cynthia as much as I did. I had a great time getting to know her better, and I have a ton of respect for the effort and scientific evidence that she puts into all of her content. I have a feeling that this is definitely going to be one of my most popular episodes. I really do want you to get healthy and believe that a weekly dose of motivation, education, and inspiration can go a long way when you're trying to really change your lifestyle. So hit that subscribe button, and if you're feeling extra nice today, please take the time to leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening from. And as always, if you have any questions or podcast topics that you'd like me to cover in the future, you can reach out at info at reshapept.com. Also, if you don't already know, I ramped up my YouTube channel starting in April of 2020, and I'll be sharing a new video every Monday, and sometimes I'm going to be pulling the audio from that video and putting it on this podcast, because I know a lot of my listeners like to listen in the car or while they're walking, and it's easier to listen to a podcast than watch a video when you're doing that. So next week's video and podcast is titled, How to Get Rid of Belly Fat After Menopause, Seven Tips to Help Your Pants Fit Again. I will link to my YouTube channel along with the other resources 
Cynthia and I mentioned today in the show notes for this episode. And you can find those show notes at reshapept.com forward slash blog forward slash 18, the number 18. And I will talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.